Amen. Um, if you can grab a copy of God's Word and meet me in the book of Second Chronicles, chapter twenty. Second Chronicles, chapter twenty. And as you get ready to turn there, let me open us up in a word of prayer, and we'll get into God's Word. Lord, listen to your children praying. Heavenly Father, we ask that as we lift up your word at this very time, in this very hour, we ask that you would speak, O oh Lord, as your children are listening. Lord, you know what we stand in the need of. And Heavenly Father, we ask that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, unlock your truths to your children this moment. Heavenly Father, what we cannot see, we ask that you would show us. What we do not know, we ask that you would teach us. And what we are not now, O oh Heavenly Father, by the mercies of Jesus Christ, we ask that you would make us. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said amen. 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 And amen. Second uh, Chronicles 20. Uh, a wonderful passage, a hidden passage. Um, but as you make your way there, still here, a couple of pages turning, um, we're in a series uh, entitled Enrolling in the School of Prayer, um, where we're just observing and meditating upon uh, some, some passages in the Bible, some prayers of the Bible, and prayerfully to um, really enliven our prayer lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. Uh, there was a theologian named Arthur Pearson, who says this, he says, God has no greater controversy with his people today than this, that with the boundless promises of believing prayer, there are so few who, who actually give themselves to it. Uh, but church, if we want to be a healthy church, if we want to be a Christ-like church, if we want to be a missional church, a disciple-making church, uh, a city on a hill... Uh, the light to the world, we must fundamentally be a praying church. Amen? Amen. Amen? And we all have space and room to grow in the school of prayer. Prayer is, is not a school that you can graduate from. Uh, some thought they had opted out. You don't realize you're still in it. Because it's when it, when it gets tough. We naturally pray, don't we? But you ought to know how to pray before it gets tough. Second uh, Chronicles 20, you there? Uh, we'll just read the first 12 verses. I was hoping to get further. I could not. Uh, but we'll see what the Lord has to say to us this day. Uh, 1 through 12, it reads as this. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites, and with them some of the Mehunites, came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some of the men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is, En Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord, and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem and the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? 
You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did not did you not our God drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now behold, the, some of the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Sire whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Verse 12, this is the key verse. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. One more time. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Uh, with your prayers and amens, I simply want to preach from the idea, uh, looking upward in a storm. Uh, looking upward in a storm. There's, there's a storm brewing. Jehoshaphat had just led some of the greatest reforms the kingdom of Judah had ever seen. Uh, but now, as the curtains raise, it's a, it's a dark time, it's a stormy time, it's a turbulent time, it's a difficult time, it's a dangerous time. As the, the thunderous clouds had been gathering in and accumulating on the horizon and now they're descending upon the kingdom of Judah. By no means does the Bible paint Jehoshaphat as a perfect king, but the Bible does say that he was a good king. Uh, the Bible tells us that Jehoshaphat was a, a drum major for righteousness. Uh, by turning the people of God from seeking Baal and Asherah back to seeking the Lord their God. Uh, the Bible also tells us that he was a drum major for justice. Uh, by re-establishing and electing uh, justices, just judges whose main qualification in the land wasn't their GPA or wasn't their law school that they went to, but it was simply this. He elected judges and nominated those who would serve the high court in Judah. He elected those who sought their Lord God with their whole heart. That ought to be the qualifications of every justice in the land. Uh, so justice prevailed, and then uh, righteousness prevailed. Justice began to roll down in the kingdom. But so the people had peace, they had prosperity, they had blessings. But all of a sudden, they found themselves in peril. In other words, all of this takes place suddenly, doesn't it? Uh, verse 1, you notice it begins with after this. And see, church, is there anybody in here who can simply just testify with me that it's typically after you begin to commit your life to Jesus that trouble comes. Storms come. The clouds begin to gather. Before that, it was, it was kind of all good. Right? It wasn't, life wasn't that bad. Uh, 
And see, the storms that came before Christ, I don't know about you, I didn't grow up in the church, but the storms that came before I came to Christ were storms that I really, truly felt like I could handle. But when you come to Christ, situations start to get above and beyond you. Uh, That's what I think the church kind of misses at times. We, We don't tell people that there's tribulation to come. That there's storms to come, that there's trials to come, that, that, that the really, truly the only difference between a diamond and a lump of coal is pressure. Yeah, yeah. And see, we ought to do well in telling people that it's after that they, they get married, it's after people leave a toxic relationship, after they put down the bottle, after we, we stop playing musical beds, it's after we stop seeking our will and start seeking God's will, it's after we start to live of God. For our lives. Troubles come. And they come suddenly. All of a sudden they descend. One day it's bright. The next day it's stormy. The Bible says that there were three kingdoms. Mighty kingdoms that came upon this nation. They sought to take out King Jehoshaphat. They sought to take over the kingdom of Judah. Uh, Parenthetically and sadly, I'll say this and just move on really quickly. These nations were actually descendants of Abraham's nephew, Lot. Uh, It's been said that sometimes it'd be your own people. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes you don't have problems outside in the world. Sometimes it'd be the folk in your very own circle. Uh, These were their family members. Remember Joseph, he was sold into slavery in Egypt and it was uh, the Ishmaelites who picked him up. Descendants, family trauma, family struggles, all played out in the Bible. Mark it down, church. There will be some storms in your life. Uh, There will be some times that seem insurmountable. Uh, There will be some moments and difficulties that you will be faced with where you are not sure how you will make it out of that circumstance. But brothers in Jesus, I just simply want to uh, encourage you this very morning to keep your eyes upon Jesus. Keep your eyes upon Jesus and what you will see, because we'll see it in our text, that you'll see that Jesus is able and mighty to deliver his children from any and all circumstances. In order to realize uh, the worth of an anchor in a storm, you need to feel the stress of the storm. Uh, to, To hold fast to Jesus, you must be going through something. When we're in a storm, and this is our basis, this is our sermon in a sentence, this is the, uh, the main part of the message. When you find yourself in a storm, you need to wake up and write this down. I'm almost tempted to say, if you get this, you could go to sleep for the rest of the message. But I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to encourage that behavior. Somebody said, don't encourage that. When you find yourself in a storm, we ought to do what the people of Judah did. They don't look out. They don't look about. They don't look within. They just simply look up. In other words, church, if God is on your side, it don't matter what you have against you. You're going to be all right. 
you will be all right. Uh, verse 3, we're told that um, after the intelligence report that Jehoshaphat uh, received, the Bible says he was afraid. And do you see that? He was afraid. I don't know about you, but that gives me some great comfort. And see, he's a king. He had previously marched fearlessly into battle. He had, by God's grace, transformed the entire nation back to serving the Lord. And in other words, he, he dealt with some church folk regularly. <laughs> he got the church folk to come back to church. Uh, uh, he, he's bold, he's, he's courageous, but then the Bible says that he was afraid. And beloved, sometimes there are some fears and some situations in our life and they actually aren't unreasonable to be afraid. You actually ought to be afraid. It ought to awaken us to the reality of the circumstances. Amen? He was afraid. And I don't know about you, but sometimes church life can get close to you. Uh, life is sometimes like a crowded metro on the red line before the pandemic after work. Uh, it can just seem to be feeling like it's crowded in upon you. I don't ride the metro. I, I never really loved it. So I'm just going off of what I heard. But, but see, life has a way of testing your metal, doesn't it? Life has a way of showing us in a storm where our foundation really lays. Uh, Jesus says... Uh, there are those who hear his words and they're like a wise man who built their house upon a rock and the winds came and the rains blew and, and the house was still there because it was built on the foundation. Then Jesus says, those who hear my words and do not hear my words, you don't receive my words. They're like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The winds came and the rains blew and, and the house just crumbled. It went away. It went down and uh, uh, perished completely. But beloved brothers and sisters, the point is simply this. You can choose whatever material you, you want to choose. You can go to Lowe's, Home Depot, wherever you want to go. But see, you can't choose what type of storm you're going to get. You better make sure your house is on that foundation, that solid rock. All other ground is sinking sand, says the psalmist. But he's afraid. There's danger. There's alarm. Life comes close. It gets near. And uh, my question for you this morning, what keeps you up at night? Uh, what burden are you faced with this morning? Third question is, have you looked up? Have you looked upward in the storm? Uh, but notice that there's not a period after Jehoshaphat was afraid. <laughs> That's good news. It doesn't stop there. It says that he was afraid. There's not a period but a conjunction and. And look with me. It says, and he set his face to seek the Lord. Uh, meaning he didn't stop with his fear, but he proceeds in spite of his fear. Now, see, I used to think as a young deacon, as a young leader in the church, I used to think that, that, that fear was uh, um, uh, uh, something that we ought never have. That something that you, you were just not spiritual if you truly had it. Uh, and right, and so, so I used to think that 
Courage was the absence of fear, but what I'm learning now is that courage is actually the presence of fear and still moving on by faith in spite of the fear. He has fear, yet he set himself to seek the Lord his God. Fear can send you in one of two directions. Uh, fear in your life can send you away from God or can send you towards God. That brings us to our first point. Verse 3 says, he set his face to seek the Lord. Jesus puts it this way. He says, ask and you shall receive and uh, seek and you shall find and knock and it will be open to you. And there, there are a multitude of means of prayer. There's asking. There's seeking and there's, there's knocking. Uh, we're more familiar with the former, not the latter two. Uh, some are asking in petition. Others are seeking in position. Uh, um, one is, is what we lift up. Another one is, is how it looks and how we run after God in His presence. The Bible says He's seeking God. So if we want to simply look upward in a storm, if we want to understand how to fight battles in a storm, when you find yourself in a storm, I got a couple things. There's, I believe there's just five points for us that we'll consider this very morning in our passage. When you find yourself in a storm, where to seek God? But first of, first of all, we must seek God ultimately. Amen. We must seek God ultimately. And that's, that's clearly just laid out here for us. King Jehoshaphat, beloved, had one million men of uh, valor ready to fight on his behalf. But notice that the king does not simply go and muster up his army. Uh, the king does not consult with his commanders. Uh, the king does not... Go and, and create a strategic plan on how to fight this battle. No, friends, his first move is our best move. The king himself goes speedily and immediately to the throne of grace. Now, if a king who had a kingdom, who reformed the kingdom, who transformed that kingdom, went to a greater king, how much more ought we to go to that king too? I just need some help this morning. I told you I need some help. Here's the point. Prayer ought not be our last resort, but our first response. See, it's tempting though, isn't it? Uh, when trouble comes, to begin to lean on your own understanding... Y'all in here today, y'all look good. Y'all probably smell good. You, you, you talk Bible pretty good. You know a little something, know a little bit of scripture. You got a pretty good job. You got a good retirement package and you got a good plan. And when you go to work and you accomplish and you got degrees on your walls and all of that, all that good stuff. It's tempting to start leaning on what we've accomplished. But let me warn you. Peter had his eyes on the storm and he sank. Moses had his eye on the people and he failed. Elijah had his eye upon himself and he was depressed. In other words, church, all of them were in the presence of God, but 
none of which had their eyes set upon the Lord their God. Jehoshaphat looked away from his position, his prominence, his name, his uh, total priority, and his predicament was solely that he was going to seek first the kingdom of God. Brothers and sisters, when you're in a storm, you too need to seek first the kingdom of God. Uh, Proverbs 18.10 says it this way, And the Lord, the name of the Lord, is a strong tower, and the righteous... Run to it and are safe. As referenced earlier, the Lord in Matthew 6.33 bids us to seek first the kingdom of God. And in that passage, the Lord Jesus reveals to us really three types of people in this world. Uh, first, there are those who don't seek God. Uh, secondly, there are those who do seek God. There are often churchgoers, religious and prayerful people, but when conflict arises, when troubles arise in their lives for the second category, they are often conflicted and miserable people. Uh, because they're trying to keep one eye, we are trying to keep one eye upon God while keeping another eye on our circumstances, our comforts, our predicament and situations. And then there's another category, beloved, and thirdly, there are those who seek God first. Beloved, we're to seek God ultimately. Let me try to illustrate that really quickly. There was a diehard fan at the Super Bowl, and uh, he's there, and he's walking, and, and he happens past a man who has the most awesome seats you could get in going to the Super Bowl. Uh, he's right at the 50-yard line. Uh, he, he's, he's right there. I mean, he can probably touch some of the players. And so this diehard fan happens across this man and notices that this man has an open seat next to him. He says, hey, don't you have another guest? To which the other man replied, um, that was for my wife, but she had passed away. And the man says, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry to hear that. That's, that's so sad. I, uh, that, that's so sad. I'm sorry. I'll be praying for you. He says, but, but I just have this question. I mean, it is the Super Bowl. I'm surprised that not a family member, a, a friend, a neighbor, a church member, that nobody wanted to come out and, and, and pick up that ticket and just join you and sit next to you and to, and to comfort you and have a good time at this game. These are awesome seats. The man responded, I, I, I can't believe it either. I'm, I'm, I, just, I simply don't understand it myself. Um, they all insisted on going to the funeral. All right. Now I get it. Now I get it. Yeah, I get it. Michelle, you with me? Okay. Okay. In other words, church... He loved his wife, but not ultimately. All right. Y'all going to make me work today. The only right way to seek God is to seek God first. He must, have, he must have priority and it must be ultimately. Second... First, we must seek God ultimately, but secondly, brothers and sisters, we, in times of storms, when we encounter storms, we must seek God personally. Personally. It says, he set his face to seek the Lord. 
he obeyed what the KJV would read back to us, seek ye first. Uh, Jesus in the Lord's Prayer says, when you pray, uh, go to your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. One theologian remarked it this way, the secret of prayer is prayer in secret. In other words, church, when the road gets rough, when, when you um, encounter the difficulties of life, you must seek God for yourself. Your pastor can't seek God for you. Uh, your parents cannot seek God for you. You must first and foremost have that personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ for yourself. I would love to seek Him for you. I can't. I, I can intercede for you, but, but I can't seek God for you. You must be resolved to seek the Lord. Listen to the promise in Jeremiah 29, 13. It says this, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. You must be resolved to seek the Lord, your God, no matter the odds or the circumstances that you are faced with, beloved. Even if your spouse don't seek God, even if your children do not seek God, even if your deacons don't seek the Lord, you must be resolved yourself to seek the Lord, your God. Amen. Apart from what anyone else does. Interestingly, Jehoshaphat prays, and you can say what you want about him, beloved, but you can't say that he's a hypocrite. Hey, he's not calling upon people something that he's not doing. And see, that's the challenge of church leadership, beloved. It, it, it's a challenge, and anybody here who aspires, or anyone who is a current leader, or anyone who has been a leader knows for yourself, really, the, a lot of the, the failures in church leadership of church members and deacons and pastors and so on and so forth is simply because they lost the private battle in prayer. What we see externally began secretly. It just came out sometime later. We must pray personally, individually. Uh, Spurgeon puts it this way. He says about the preacher, uh, the preacher is above, and I, I think this could, could be captured by all church leaders and really truly church members. The preacher is above all distinguished as a man of prayer. He prays as an ordinary Christian or else he'd be a hypocrite. He prays more than an ordinary Christian, else he'd be disqualified from the office which he has undertaken. It would be wholly monstrous for someone to be highest in office but lowest in soul. First in station but last in life. Brothers and sisters, we must be men and women of personal, private devotion and prayer. Uh, we're to seek God ultimately, we're to seek God personally, but notice next, thirdly, we're to seek God corporately. I'm in verse 4. Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. And all the cities of Judah came to seek the Lord. Uh, normally the people at this particular dispensation had three times a year which they would gather and come together for the great feasts. Uh, but now they had come and yoked themselves and united themselves in prayer, not because it was prescribed, but because they felt the need. The Bible says out of all the cities, 
all the towns, all the hamlets. In other words, they started to see folk they ain't see before after COVID happened. In her book, A Practical Guide to Prayer, Dorothy Haskins talked about a concert violinist who was asked the secret of her mastery over the instrument. Uh, the woman answered the question with just two words. She says this, planned neglect. Planned neglect. Uh, she explained that there were, there were many things that used to determine her time. And she says this, when, when I went uh, to my room after breakfast, I made my bed, I straightened my room, I dusted and did whatever I felt was necessary. But when my, I finished my work, I would then turn to my violin practice. She says that system prevented me from accomplishing the work that I needed to do to become a, a master of the violin. Then she says, so I reversed some things. I deliberately planned to neglect everything else until my practice period was complete. And, and, and that program of neglect was the secret for her success. She touches on the fact that I believe it's true for us in the church. Much praying is neglected, not because we don't desire to pray, it's because we simply don't plan to pray. Uh, we have some other stuff going on in our lives. Beloved, prayer doesn't pop up on accident. Uh, you ought to have a planned, scheduled time for prayer and keep it. Uh, jot it down in your calendar. Uh, talk to Siri, that's what I do. Talk to Siri and say, Siri, this is my prayer time. Uh, uh, block off any notifications. Uh, write down a list of people you ought to pray for. <laughs> write down some concerns that you may be able to remember what you ought to pray for so your mind doesn't drift. Amen. An enemy of prayer can be solved if you and I, church, simply deliberately neglect some other things. But if God be God, I think those other things ought to be undone. We ought to make it a priority to pray. Let me warn somebody here today, if you're here, if you're on Zoom, or if you're here in the congregation, uh, you have not and you care not, you do not want to make it a habit to pray, and you don't want to pray individually and perhaps corporately, beloved. Let me, uh, let me, let me urge you and perhaps warn you this way. The challenge is we're often too busy to seek God. Uh, we're too tired to seek God. We're too preoccupied to seek God. We're, we're too self-sufficient to seek God. We're too sleepy sometimes to seek God. You better be careful. Because one day it'll be too late to seek God. Uh, see, because the Bible says in Isaiah 55, 6 and 7, you better seek the Lord while he may be found. You need to call upon the Lord while he is near. And the implication is this, church, he ain't always going to be near. He will not always be found. One day that door of prayer will be shut. And for the saints, no more prayer, just praise. We got to seek the Lord while he may be found. One person put it this way, the, the pastor who is not praying is playing. 
the people who are not praying are straying. Another uh, Puritan, I read a lot, uh, his name is Thomas Brooks. Uh, he says this, a family without prayer is like a house without a roof. Uh, you are exposed to all of the storms of heaven. And, and, and again, I believe that does apply to the church. If we're not a prayerful church, we ought to expect some problems. We ought to expect the city to do us wrong. We, we ought to expect the communities to, to neglect us. We ought to expect injustices in this land. If the church does not come together and pray corporately. Beloved, I think I'm almost done. I'm almost done. We're to see God ultimately, personally, corporately. We'll end here. Finally, we must seek God trustingly. Amen. Trustingly. In verses 5 to 12, Jehoshaphat, he, he really provides for us a pattern for prayer. It's a public prayer. It's, a, it's an awesome prayer. And I don't have the, the time to, to, to tackle all of the nuances of the prayer. But, but let me give you just a couple of things. And maybe, maybe you want to pray. You desire to pray. You just aren't sure of a pattern on how to pray. Let, let this be your prayer guide this week. Uh, uh, first, Jehoshaphat acknowledges the sovereignty of God. Uh, we see that in verse 6. He says, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms. See, brothers and sisters, you need a God who not just over your neighborhood, but over all the kingdoms. Amen. Not just this nation, the United States, but all the nations. Uh, he calls upon his sovereignty first. And, and notice it doesn't start with, Lord, give me. Uh, many of our prayers, if we be being honest, are, are typically, Lord, help, help, help. Please, please, please. Uh, his prayer starts with God and the person of God and the work of God and the sovereignty of God. You need a God with power. Uh, secondly, he shows that God is a relational God. He says, you're the God of our fathers, but later on in, in verse 12, he says, you're our God too. See, we need a, a covenant-keeping God. See, Israel wasn't saved because they were good. They were saved because God was good. Uh, you turn these pages, you will see that his people have been bad. His people ought to have been done away with. His church, sometimes, if it wasn't for the covenant, ought to be done away with. But, but Jesus will always keep his church. He's a relational God. He's the Lord, your God. Uh, third, he, he, he prays, write this one down. He prays somebody else's prayer. Y'all missed it. That's okay. Um, verse 9, I'm not making this up. Verse 9, Jehoshaphat, he takes Solomon's prayer and prays that prayer back to God. If you're here and sometimes you're like me, sometimes you're feels like you're praying the same old things about the same old things. Anybody in here? One way to combat that is, is, is by looking in the text and finding the prayers of the saints. Find the answered prayers. Take those prayers, pray them back to God. Let them be your prayers. He takes Solomon's prayer for protection once uh, the kingdom was established, once the house of God had been fully built. Solomon prayed this prayer and said, Lord, if, 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 if our people pray, you will hear and you will heal this land. 
And, and so Jehoshaphat takes that prayer, makes it his prayer, and lifts it up to God in prayer. He takes somebody else's prayer. Fourthly, he professes his entire dependence and trust upon God for deliverance. He says, Lord, if you can't do it, nobody can do it. Lord, if you don't move, can't nobody move. And that's really the posture of seeking God in prayer. He says, Lord, we're powerless. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. In other words, we're, we're powerless, we're weak, we're, we're clueless, but thanks be to God, we're not hopeless. They're trusting in God and they're showing that they're trusting in God, that they're leaving it up to God as to how he wants to bring about the results. Church, God, God don't need you to bring the list on how he ought to do it. How he ought to do it, when he ought to do it, and what it ought to look like. That's many of our prayers. He says, Lord, we, nothing in our hands we bring just simply to the cross. I cling. However you want to work it out, Lord, we're just going to trust that you can work it out. Lord, we're going to thank you anyhow about whatever happens, Lord, whether you deliver, whether you don't deliver. They, they like the Hebrew boys who go up uh, to the king and, and, and they say, the Lord can deliver us, but even if he don't, we ain't going to bow down to you. So that's, it is what it is. They're saying, Lord, it, it is what it is. And we ought to have open hands when we pray so that we can receive what God is trying to give to us. Imagine a child going to their loving parent asking for something, a good and awesome gift with their hands closed. How are you going to receive it? And, and see, oftentimes that, that's just simply how we go to God in prayer. Father, I need this, but I don't want it the way you're trying to provide it. They're, they're trusting God in prayer. Think about this. Abraham followed God without knowing where God would take him. Hannah prayed and wait on, waited on God's timing, not sure of how this birth would, would happen. But now came Samuel. And, and then also Mary expected she received that angelic visitation, but she wasn't sure how this pregnancy was all going to work out. Joseph trusted comprehensively, even though he didn't have all the information. It's people trusting in God. Job says, though he slay me, I'm going to trust in him. Isaiah 26 says this, you keep them in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because they trust in you. Proverbs 3, 5, you know it. Trust in the Lord with some of your hearts. All right, just making sure y'all awake. With all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, all your ways, acknowledge him. And there's a promise. And he will make your path straight. God won't make your path crooked. He, he won't lead you into a ditch. He, he won't let you veer off course. But you got to let him drive. Y'all know people with the license plates and, and the bumper stickers, Lord, take the wheel. It's like, why, why you got the wheel in the first place? You ain't supposed to have no wheel. 
Uh, let me, I'll end with this, this illustration. It's one of my favorites. You heard it before. Back like you hadn't heard it before. Um, it, it was just too good to pass up. Uh, George Mueller, y'all remember George Mueller? He had the orphanages and uh, thousands of, of, of children and uh, orphans had passed through his school back in, uh, back in London. And, and there was a captain who uh, documented the story. It's documented. You can look it up yourself. His name is Charles Inglis. And, and so this captain of the ship named Charles Inglis said this. He says, um, our ship had come to a, a 24-hour complete halt. Uh, there was a storm, and after the storm rolled in, a very dense and thick fog to where they could not see. They were stopped and halted on the Atlantic, a, a, a gigantic vessel, a ship, because they could not go forward. The captain, Charles, said that someone tapped him on his shoulder, and it was a man by the name of George Mueller. He says that Mueller came to him and said, Captain, I, ha I have something to tell you. I, I must be in Quebec by Saturday afternoon. The captain said, yeah, but that, that's impossible. George Mueller said, well, very well. If, if your ship can't take me, then God's going to have to find another way to get me to Quebec. Uh, I'm willing to help you, Mr. Mueller, but as you can see, I'm, I'm helpless. What, what do you suggest? And Mr. Mueller said, let us go down to the chart room and, and pray about it. The captain said, I looked at this man and I thought to myself, what lunatic asylum is this man from? This man is crazy. Then he says this, Mr. Mueller do you not see how dense the fog is? To which Mueller replied, Captain, my eye is not on the fog. My eye is upon God. He said, let's pray. Mueller gets down on his knees and he prays first. And he prays what, what Charles Inglis mentions is a childlike prayer. Prayer, He says, man, this, this could not be a greater prayer than, than an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old. But he prayed this prayer and asked for God to remove the fog in five minutes. Mueller arose. He finished praying. And the captain, Charles, was about to get down and pray. Mueller put his hand on his shoulder. He said, no, don't pray. He said, why not? Mueller said, because I've already prayed and I believed and my God heard my prayer, you don't believe, so it ain't going to do us any good if you pray. <laughs> Sometimes we ought to stop folk from praying. <laughs> How about that in prayer service? <laughs> the, Charles said, uh, the, the, the captain, Charles, said, I looked at... Mr. Mueller and Mr. Mueller looked back at him and said, Captain, I have known the Lord my God for 40 some odd years and he has never failed me yet. I have never once not gained an audience with my king. He says, get up, Captain, open the door. You'll see that the fog is gone. The captain got up, opened the door. Fog is gone. And he's just said this. This was his last and parting words. And I want to end this here. Ask believingly. This is the captain. 
He says, ask believingly. In other words, ask trustingly. That God is able to do what He said He's able to do. He says, one Saturday afternoon, I may add, George Mueller was there on time. And church, I don't know what you're struggling with this very morning. But I do know that if you take everything to God in prayer, God is able to work all things out according to His will and He can supply your needs according to His riches and glory. God's able to do it. But His children must first seek Him. First. Not second. Not third. Not fourth. Not tenth. But seek Him and I promise you will find Him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for this time. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would continue to work by the power of your spirit to stir us to fervent prayer. Lord, I pray if there's any amongst us, oh Lord, um, I pray that you would forgive us of at times our neglect. Lord, sometimes we just simply forget. Sometimes it's just willful, oh Lord. But I ask that you would, by the mercies of Jesus Christ, that you would forgive us. Oh Lord, again, please renew a right spirit within us. Help us to seek you first, knowing all else shall be added unto us. Lord, I pray for each and every one under the sound of my voice in person and online. Lord, I pray that you would move mountains in their lives. Oh Lord, move the fog from their lives. Move the troubles of their lives. And Lord, if you don't remove the storm, I pray that you would, they would see that you have joined them in the storm. Lord, I pray that they would see that Jesus is the master of all storms. And then if we just look to our Savior, we would see that you have the right provisions and the right plans, all because of your promises to your children. So Heavenly Father, continue to be our Father, who art in heaven. Father, we love you, we adore you, and we bless your holy name. In Jesus' name, the church said amen. 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 And amen.